0: Heavenly Father we thank you for your spirit and we thank you that he gives us new birth in the Lord Jesus and we thank you that he continues to speak to us in your word we pray now that as we uh, consider um, his work in our lives and we consider um, uh, how we relate to him we pray that uh, um, that he would indeed be working in our hearts and working in our lives and, and, uh, and teaching us uh, from your word. Help us now we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. When we began our series on the Holy Spirit last week, uh, we began by seeing that the Holy Spirit gives us new birth. A uh, new life in Christ. Unless the Spirit works in our hearts to give us a new life, then we cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is the Spirit who enables us to repent and believe. It is the Spirit who gives us the faith to trust in Jesus. And so no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so for all of us who have been born again, we are doubly thankful. We are thankful to God for giving his Son to die on the cross for our salvation. And we are thankful to God for giving us his Spirit so that we can believe and trust that death for ourselves. Now today, we are asking the question of how we relate to the Spirit. But in order to understand how we relate to the Spirit, we need to be reminded of who the Spirit is. Because only as we know the nature of something or someone, then we know how to relate to them. The first thing to say about who the Spirit is, is that the Spirit is God. Over and over again in the Old Testament, he is called the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, he is called the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead. He is called the Eternal Spirit. Not only God is eternal. In Acts chapter 5, lying to the Holy Spirit is equivalent to lying to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 16, we are God's temple because God's Spirit lives in us. And so time and time again, he's presented to us as, as being God. He's presented us in the Bible together with and equal to the Father and the Son. And so Jesus commanded us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, uh, the Apostle prays that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with, with the Corinthians. The three together. In 1 Peter 2, uh, Peter prays that f- for those in his writing, according to, to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ the three are linked so the Holy Spirit he is God and this means he is worthy of all honor and worship and uh, and glory as God he is fully God and yet most of the time our worship is centered around the Father and the Son And that is because the Holy Spirit himself is the one who leads us to do that. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in us. He is the one who guides us on the ground. And he does not seek honor for himself. The scriptures, which are the Spirit's word to us, are not centered on the Spirit himself. They are centered on Christ. And so if you look through the Bible, you won't find anyone praying to or worshiping the Spirit. And you will find nothing that tells us to do that. Now there's nothing wrong with that. The Spirit is God. And he's he's worthy of all glory and honour and worship. And there's nothing wrong with honouring him and worshipping him and praying to him. But the Spirit himself doesn't lead us to centre our worship on him. Because the Spirit, as worthy as he is, does not seek his own honour. Just as the Son sought to honour the Father, the Spirit seeks to honour the Son. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples uh, in John 15. He says, When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in the very next chapter, when Jesus promises the the, the apostles the Holy Spirit, uh, he says, um, in the next bit, in chapter 16, verse 13, he says, He will glorify me. We'll look at that passage in a bit more detail later on. See, the Spirit... Led the apostles to understand who Jesus is, so they could declare declare it to us, and so give glory, not to himself, but to Jesus. So the Spirit is fully God, worthy of all glory, but he seeks to glorify Jesus. Just as Jesus is fully God and worthy of all glory, and gave his life in loving obedience to the glory of the Father. That's That's how the Trinity works. The God whom we serve is other person centered, and the Spirit is God. The second thing about the Spirit is that He is personal. Right? He's a person, not a thing. He's an He, not an It. And Jesus Himself um, teaches us to think that way. In John 14, for example, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In fact, Jesus deliberately uses he or him here for the Holy Spirit. Where grammatically, the most natural. Uh, words to use would have been it in, in, it's just in the, in, 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 the, in the way that grammar works because the stress is that the Holy Spirit is a person, it's a he he is another helper, someone like Jesus although unlike Jesus who could not remain with the disciples forever the Holy Spirit would he was with them at the time of Jesus with them but in the end he would be in them Now, incidentally, some Muslims say this this passage refers to Muhammad, which is actually quite ridiculous, isn't it? Because Muhammad is not with anyone forever. He was never with the disciples anyway, and certainly was never in them. Jesus is talking here not about Muhammad or anything else, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot receive him, only the disciples who follow Jesus. There's other evidence from the scripture that the Holy Spirit's a person. The Spirit speaks in a personal way. In Acts chapter 10 verse 19, for example, uh, Peter is pondering a vision and the Holy Spirit said to him. Or in Acts 13 too, uh, the Holy Spirit said, uh, in the next slide, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. Uh, The Holy Spirit does personal things. He speaks, he encourages, he reveals, he guides, he comforts, he warns, he appoints. In Ephesians four verse thirty uh, warns us that he can be grieved. See, the spirit's not just a force; he's a person. Now, that's very important because that determines how we relate to him, doesn't it? You can use a force, you know, like Luke Skywalker in the in Star Wars, all right? Use the force, Luke. All right? You can manipulate a force to achieve your purposes. You use tools to, to control a force to make things happen that you want to happen. But you don't do that with a person, do you? You don't just manipulate someone for your own ends. And especially you don't do it when the person is God Himself. You don't use the Spirit, you obey the Spirit. The other thing that's different between a force and a person is, is how you experience them. You feel a force. When gravity pulls you down, you, you feel the force of gravity. And friends, I have searched the scriptures to, as far as I can find, looking for every reference to the Spirit, and I cannot find any reference at all to feeling the Holy Spirit. Never in the Bible are we told to feel the Spirit. You can check it up for yourself. The biblical way of experiencing the Spirit is not feeling him. Of course you might have feelings about him, just like you might have feelings about your wife or your boyfriend or your parents or Harrison Ford. There's nothing wrong with having feelings about a person, but you don't want to confuse your feelings about your husband with your husband himself, would you? You might have feelings about the Holy Spirit, there's nothing wrong with that, in fact don't, don't, don't let me hear that we shouldn't have, don't, don't hear me saying we shouldn't have you know religious emotions and feelings emotions are good We're to love our God with all our hearts with all our soul with all our minds everything our whole being including our emotions but we must know that our feelings are our feelings about the spirit not the spirit himself the biblical way of experiencing the spirit is not by feeling it's not by feeling happy or feeling tingling up your spine, or feeling burning in your ribs, or an urge to laugh, or an urge to cry, or the need to faint, or anything else. You don't experience the spirit by feeling. You don't experience the spirit by fainting. Uh, I need to talk about this for a moment, because there is a phenomenon going around uh, that's becoming a bit popular in our wider Christian community called being slain in the spirit. Some of you know what it is. He will come forward, someone touches them, and wham, they fall to the floor. And that's supposed to be how the Holy Spirit works today. Now, a few years ago I went to an Alpha Weekend uh, and came across something like that. Uh, Now I must say, it was a lovely, peaceful environment. People were being prayed for and falling down all over the place, and it felt good. It was nice. Right? Um, much more gentle and restful than some of the other incidents I've seen where people are shouting and jumping and you know oh, what's going on here no, it this was, this was, this was nice right? but it was basically the same thing I didn't quite know what to make of it what do you, what do, you do with this well first, how do you know how the Holy Spirit works how do you know anything about the spiritual realm the answer is you search your scriptures don't you so I went back to my room and, and did that and And what I found is that I couldn't find any of that phenomena there. It just just wasn't there. I did find people falling in worship before God. I did find people falling backwards under God's judgment. But this wasn't either of those two things. Now, if God tells us everything we need to know for life and godliness in his spirit-inspired word, and he doesn't tell us anything about this at all, it means that it's entirely irrelevant as a means of experiencing God. Now, I know a number of people who have had that experience and it's been fine as an experience. Some have been happy about it afterwards and attributed it to God and others seem unchanged. And yes, God the Holy Spirit can use any experience, good or bad, to, to change us and help us and mold us. That's true. But there's nothing intrinsically or profoundly spiritual about fainting at the command of someone who does that kind of thing any more than fainting at the sight of blood even false teachers who proclaim a false gospel like the prosperity gospel can and do make people faint and so can stage hypnotists and con men and and some Hindu gurus, you find that on the internet so just because people faint doesn't mean it's right although the opposite is also true just because people faint it doesn't, that, doesn't mean that everything the speaker says is wrong either I know some people who do proclaim the gospel and then do this other stuff as well right? Now, at one level there's nothing intrinsically wrong with fainting when someone prays for you right? you may get overwhelmed with emotion as you, as you uh, consider you know, what you're praying about and all those things in faint. nothing wrong with that but please don't let anyone manipulate you into doing that And then say, well, that's the Spirit. Because the danger is, if you think that is the way you experience the Spirit, you might be distracted from properly experiencing the Spirit. The Spirit is a person, not a force. And the biblical way of relating to Him is not by feeling Him, but hearing Him. Which brings us to our third point about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a speaker. The Spirit speaks to the churches. The Spirit encourages, reveals, guides, comforts, warns, appoints, leads, transforms, and does all those things by speaking. God is a speaking God. And over and over again in the scriptures we, hear, we see that the Spirit speaks His voice. Not that we feel Him, we hear Him. The Holy Spirit spoke in Old Testament times through the prophets. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see how he does that. He does it in various ways. I'll take, for example, the prophet Samuel. God called him as a boy to be a prophet. He thought Eli was calling him. He was one prophet who heard God in an audible voice. And he delivered the message of God to others. But it's not always in an audible voice God's spirit works. King David was a prophet because the Holy Spirit spoke through him. For example, in the writing of the Psalms. He says in, in, in 1 Samuel 23 three two He says, look, he's, he's an anointed of the God of Jacob, a sweet son of Israel. He says, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Here's another example of a, of a prophet speaking God's words by the Spirit. It's a, it's a prophet Zechariah in 2 Chronicles 24. And the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of God. And still the people when said to them, thus says the Lord. When the Spirit of God fell on Ezekiel, uh, it's mentioned that, that, uh, that he would say, thus says the Lord. He speaks God's word. When Nehemiah looks back on, on God's dealings with Israel over, over history, he says, Look, many years you bore with them and warned them by your Spirit through the prophets. The Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. And so what we have in the Old Testament is, is his word. He's written it. That, that's, what the, that's what the New Testament tells us as well. When the Apostle Peter is looking back to the Old Testament, he says in 1 Peter, 20, or 1, Peter one twenty that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Even before Pentecost in Acts one sixteen, he says, quoting an Old Testament, he says, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. And David wrote the Psalms, and it was because the Holy Spirit moved him to do so. And so when Jesus quotes Psalm 110, he says, How is it that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, and he talks about Psalm hundred and ten? Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in Acts 28 when he's in dispute with the Jews and he says the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. The writer of the Hebrews does the same with, with uh, Jeremiah in the, in the next slide. Yep, that's okay. Let's have the next slide. Yep, he's quoting, uh, he's quoting Jeremiah and he says the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. for well, after saying da-da-da-da, he's According to the prophet. You, you see that? The scriptures are the work of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are the words of the Holy Spirit. In these passages we hear his voice. Loud and clear. And as not just the Old Testament scriptures. The Spirit spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. And so we have the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. The same Spirit spoke through the apostles in the New Testament. And so we have the Spirit's apostolic writings. Turn with me now to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 it will be on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to be in John for the next couple of minutes at least, so. We're turning up. John 14, 1087. In right, New Testament times, uh, Jesus prophesied, or Jesus rather, promised rather, that the Spirit would speak through the apostles. Uh, in 14, verse 25 to 26, he says. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, notice when he says you here, he's, he's not talking to all Christians. He's speaking to the apostles, isn't he? And he can't be talking to us directly here because we weren't there. The Spirit won't bring to remembrance things that we weren't witnesses of. He's talking to his apostles. People whom he had specifically chosen and appointed and and given authority in this way. And he says, look, I've taught you many things over the past three years. Many things he didn't even understand at the time. But when I'm gone, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you. He will help you remember what I've said. That is why the apostles can accurately witness for Christ. Christ. The same Spirit who spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament would instruct them and enable them to. Not only would they be to remember what Jesus taught them, but the Spirit would teach them new truths as well. If you flip the next page to chapter 16, verse 12 to 15, He says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Oh, the Father has his mind, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, Jesus says, again, when Jesus says the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth, he's not directly talking initially to you and me, right? He's not saying, look, you don't have to read the Bible, because the Spirit of Truth will guide you into all truth, won't he? He's not saying that. He's speaking to his apostles. And he says, look, you guys, I've got many more things to say to you. But you can't handle it now, you can't understand, but don't worry. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will make sure you get it right. He will make sure that what you understand and proclaim is indeed the truth. He will keep on teaching what I started. Remember, I always do what the Father gives me to say and do. Well, the Spirit will do the same. When he speaks, he will speak for the Father and for me. Because, friends, only God can reveal God. And the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit knows God from the inside, from within the inner life of the Trinity. He's able to reveal the Father and the Son. And the Son always sought the Father's glory by revealing him to the apostles. And the Spirit will do the same for the Son. And in verse 14 says, He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus by leading the apostles into all truth, revealing God and his plans and purposes for them. And enabling them to understand, believe and proclaim and eventually write down and preserve for us the truth about Jesus. And the truth, the the all truth that that the Spirit led the apostles into is given to us in the apostolic writings to the New Testament. And so just like we have the Spirit's words in the Old Testament through the prophets, we have the Spirit's words in the New Testament through the apostles. And so the real author of the Bible, both Old Testament and New, is the Holy Spirit. That is why Paul is able to say in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching reproof for correcting and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now he may have been primarily referring to the Old Testament here, but you know, even as this was written, parts of the New Testament that had been written were already being considered scripture. Now Peter calls Paul's writing scripture in 1 Peter, and Paul quotes a passage from Luke as, as scripture in 1 Timothy. And right, so when Paul's talking about all scripture, he, he's talking about everything that falls in the category of scripture. All scripture, he says, is God breathed. It is God's word. Because you know word is carried on your breath, isn't it? The fact that the scripture is breathed out by God means that it's God's word. And you can't divorce the words from a person's for, for, you can't divorce the words from the person whose breath carries them. I'd say, okay, I don't like I, I I like this person, but I don't like what he says. Alright, alright. And in fact, the word breath and the word spirit are actually exactly the same word in the original. The breath of God is the spirit of God. And so you could say the whole scripture is God spirited. The word of God is the word of the Holy Spirit. It is breathed out by God, it is spirited by God. And all Scripture is God's Holy Spirit's way of of teaching us and rebuking us and correcting us and training us in righteousness. That we may be equipped for every good work. Every good work. Not just some good works. But if we want to be really spiritual, well, the Spirit has to reveal something else in some other way. No, no, no. Scripture is given by the Spirit that we may be equipped for every good work. Everything that God needs to reveal to us so that we can be saved and live a life that pleases Him, He is revealed by His Spirit through His Word. So brothers and sisters, never pit the Spirit against the Word. Right? Don't say, well, this church is good at the Word but lousy at the Spirit. This church is full of the Spirit but it got no Word. Right? The Word is the Spirit's Word. The sword of the Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 6, is the Word of God. It's on the next slide. And you can't, you can't drive a wedge between the two. And the Bible doesn't just contain what the Holy Spirit said in the past. It's not just like a record of a past whose, whose author is dead. Because the Holy Spirit continues to speak in the same Scriptures. And so when the writer of the Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, he puts it this way. He says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in a rebellion, as in a day of testing in the wilderness. And he goes on to say that that's a warning for the people of his time. What the Holy Spirit had said through David, he continued to say to the people of the apostolic age a thousand years later. And so, from the perspective of the New Testament, the Spirit who, who spoke in the distant past in the scripture continues to speak in the same scriptures. He continues to wield his sword. The Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture, and He continues to speak in them today. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the only time the Holy Spirit speaks is when we're actually physically reading the words off the pages of the Bible. All right. He does speak to us then in His written word. That's, that's His word there's no reason why the Holy Spirit can't bring to our minds some truth from Scripture and apply it to our heart when we're walking down the street. Or we may be in discussion with our Christian friends as someone reminds us of a truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed in the Bible. The Spirit's speaking there. We may not be physically reading the Bible but if what we are hearing is what the Bible says and that is still God's word, isn't it? And so far it's just God's word and the Spirit is working through it. Or we will be sharing the gospel with a friend. And as we share the message that Jesus died for our sins, that he is Lord and he rose again, and and people need to submit to him and be forgiven, then the Holy Spirit is using us to speak to our friends. If we are preaching the gospel, the true gospel, the apostolic gospel, the the, the spirit that the apostles proclaim, then, then we are proclaiming the word of God. And the spirit is speaking his word through us. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And we said just now, God's Word is not just like some book from the past whose author is dead, because the Spirit continues to speak through the Scriptures. But you know, it's not even just like an email message from someone who's far away. Because the Spirit who authored the Scriptures is a Spirit who continues to speak in the Scriptures, and it's the same Spirit who is at work in our hearts and lives. And as we read God's Word... The Bible, as we hear it proclaim, as we as we as people speak the Word of God to us in different ways, we are actually in the presence of the Author Himself, and the Spirit opens our hearts to His Word. And that was the experience of the Thessalonian Christians. Paul wrote to them in one Thessalonians chapter one verse five that our gospel came to you not only in word. But also in power, in the Holy Spirit, in full conviction. It wasn't was just empty words that were there. The Spirit was at work in the proclamation of the gospel, and He worked powerfully to enable the Thessalonians to understand it as God's word. Which one says in the very next chapter that we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's the Spirit's work. The same thing is true in Corinth. Have a look at me in 1 Corinthians 2. Another one worth, uh, worth turning up to. 1 Corinthians 2. And some of the same ideas that were there in, in John 16 are, are found here as well. First of all, the idea that, that God is the one who reveals God. That God Knows God on the inside. In verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 2. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. There is a spirit from within the Trinity who makes the Father and the Son known. And first he makes them known to the apostles. Uh, the spirit enables Paul and the other apostles to understand what God is teaching. In verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we may understand things freely given us by God. Right? And because Paul, is an apostle, given the Spirit in a special way, he's, he's able to teach others in verse 13. And we impart these words, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See? So the very words that he uses to speak are spiritual words. They're words taught by the Spirit. There are words that he writes, are words taught by the Spirit. The Spirit speaks through him. And then he says in verse fourteen about the reception. He says the natural person does not accept the spirit things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things that the apostles teach are spiritual truths, truths given by the Spirit. Truths that people we would automatically normally reject unless the Spirit's at work in our lives. The natural person does not accept the things of God. They are folly to him. It is only as the Spirit of God is at work in our heart that we can accept the spiritual truths that the Spirit teaches. And the Spirit is able to work in us so that we can receive what the world thinks of as folly. The message of the cross. For the word of the cross, Paul says earlier in chapter 1 verse 18, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's the difference? The difference is the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, we are able to receive God's gospel word. And if we don't, it will just seem silly. The Spirit opens our hearts to His own word. So friends, what have we seen about relating to the Spirit this morning? First of all, we've seen that the Spirit is God. We must relate to Him as God Himself. Furthermore, the Spirit's words are God's words. Words that accurately and truly speak to us of God. And so we trust what He says. Secondly, we've seen the Spirit is personal. And so we experience Him, not by feeling Him, but by listening to what He has to say. We relate to Him as a person. Or recognizing the Spirit Himself Keeps pointing us to Christ and seeks to glorify Him. And thirdly, we've seen the Spirit as a speaker. He spoke to the prophets, he spoke through the apostles, and he continues to speak through them today. And the message that He speaks is centered on Christ. And not only does He speak this message, but He opens our hearts so that we can hear His voice and